0: Ladies and gentlemen, emergency breaking podcast. Alberto Salazar's four year ban has been upheld by the Court in Arbitration and Sport, according to the BBC and the Times of London. Alberto Salazar, officially a doping cheat. This is a special bonus edition of our podcast, which we just recorded. Regular podcast to come after this, but we felt we had to break in. We've been tracking Alberto Salazar and hearing about doping since before this website started. And now, officially, he will be banned from the sport for three more years. Till Two takes. more years. Time flies, John. Wow, two more years. COVID helped Alberto. Two more years of no Alberto. But this decision, it's taken a while, but it got here. It's probably what most people expected. What are your guys' immediate thoughts?
1: First of all is what the hell took so long? This case was heard back in March. Now, it took them six months to announce. They haven't even officially announced the decision. This is based on Matt Lawton and Mark Daly's reporting, which I trust. But couldn't they just announce? It took them six months to reach the decision. Why couldn't they announce it and then come out with the decision later? Like they did in the Houlihan case. I'm not surprised. It was pretty clear to me he broke those rules. You can debate whether those rules should trigger a four-year ban, but he did violate them. I'm not surprised. Now, does this mean that we don't have to worry about, wonder about Alberto? We don't have to bring him up in the podcast every week like we have for the past two years. Is our long national nightmare over? Can we stop talking about Alberto for the next two years?
2: Why is it a nightmare to talk about one of the most interesting and most successful men in the history of track and field? My main takeaway is here is this changes absolutely nothing. One, I've been saying on by logic for months, this is obviously what's happened. He's, he, he, the band's upheld. If he was going to be cleared, they would have had to announce that he's clear because he'd be suffering irreparable harm and then get to the decision later. Number two, I want to see the actual decision. So finding out that the band's upheld, I basically already knew that just so it didn't happen officially. I want to see the reasoning, Did anything. I, I want to see what the judges say in their decision just to see what they think about it. Because to me, it's still three. be unsatisfying. I mean, Alberto Salazar has been banned. He had already been canceled for his fat shaming of Mary Kane and some other women. But the supposedly evil mastermind coach has been banned from the sport for what? For doing things he shouldn't be doing. I agree that you can't have coaches walking around with testosterone in their bags without special permission and then giving the massage... Suit massage therapist the night off because you never know what's going to happen you shouldn't have them doing doping experiments on their sons but if anyone was crazy enough to do this for legitimate reason it would have been alberto do i think he probably crossed that line yes do i think the alcarna experiments crossed the line I, yes actually yeah so I, I am sort of i think he should have been banned for alcarna carnitine. because if you look at the logic of it i think they exceeded the rules there so he should be banned for that i guess but the rest of it is still unsatisfying in the sense of Galen Rupp didn't says he didn't dope. Bo Ferris says he didn't dope. Hell, Kara Goucher, who hates Alberto Salazar now, I don't know, hates him, and she's kind of torn. She used to view him as a father figure. Doesn't like him now. She says she didn't dope. So who in the hell did dope? I, I don't get
1: it. You don't have to have these athletes doping for the coach to have committed a, a rules violation. Like everyone's saying, oh, I've heard many people think, well, wait. None of his athletes doped, but he's banned. How does that make sense? Well, you can break rules outside of just doping your athletes. And I know you're you you mentioned like he may have thought he was trying to follow the rules, and that's fine. He can think that doesn't change the fact of his actions that he did actually cross the line and break the rules. And I think that's the problem with this is Alberto might be justifying. he, he thinks this is a witch hunt in his mind. He hasn't done anything because he has tried to take steps to check in with USADA and WADA to make sure what he's doing is legal. But that doesn't change the fact that some of the things he did were illegal, even if he justified in his mind that they, he wasn't cheating.
2: I agree with you, but it's just hard to be a fan. I mean, you're the one always rampant on, on Jama-Aden. Jama-Aden's walking clean. Supposedly they found EPO, but well, hey, I've had people tell me they didn't find EPO. Like, I just need more transparency. I wanted to see a decision. I would like to hear a statement from the Spanish police. Or somebody on the Jama case. Like it's just can you how how is anyone supposed to enjoy the sport when it's so unsatisfying? Alberta Salazar is an evil doper. We're supposed to then go ahead and celebrate Rupp and not not insinuate anything with Rupp. Hell no, not with Carrie either. Not with Mo. None of these people. They can't get under any clouds because they're totally innocent. It's just it's hard. I don't there's no solution to the way I feel. I'm just telling you, that's how I feel. That's my opinion. That's what I think. But yeah, you, you shouldn't be doing what Alberta's doing. I think they need to draw the line. And but to me, like he could totally forgot the spirit of sports supposed to be about who's the best athlete, not who's on the best secret vitamin. But uh, hey, I would say the same thing about the mechanical doping in 2016 as well with the shoot.
0: There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Mechanical doping had to be mentioned. A couple of things. John will be immediately suspended after this podcast. Talking about can we stop talking about Alberto Salazar? Of course not. I love talking about Alberto Salazar. I've been sort of like obsessed with this guy for over 20 years and it must continue. Alberto, you're probably looking for work now. You're probably listening to this. We would love to have you come on, present your side of the story. And even if you say, Hey, I I did exactly what they said I did. I shouldn't be banned. You got a job with us for the next two years. So a couple points of order. I want to get across one, the court of arbitration and sport, they rehear the evidence from scratch. So this is a second panel it's not. It's not as high of a bar as like an appeals court in the United States. This is a second panel that heard the the evidence from scratch and ruled that he should be banned for four years. So I think that's a big thing to remember. The other thing, so we have not seen the ruling, so we do not know what this entails. But just a couple reminders from the first ruling. The first ruling, Salazar was ruled of commode, committed a doping violation on three things. One, he gave too much L-carnitine to. Nike Oregon coach, coach Steve Magnus Two, he deliberately told his athletes that the infusions of L-carnitine they had were injections and didn't need to be reported to USADA because he incorrectly thought this would be a doping violation, but it's not. So he was almost too cautious there. And three, he violated the anti-doping code by running the testosterone experiments on his kids. So no evidence that he actually doped somebody or anything. But if we go back far enough, when the ProPublica, David Epstein, BBC, Panorama, they first broke this stuff, we kept saying, like, wait, this stuff shouldn't be allowed. This this is a doping violation. We kept saying, like, how come he hasn't been charged? And he was actually being charged behind the scenes at some point. So I think there is some justice being served here. It's probably not what we wanted. It's not the clarity that we want, but we kept saying like, wait, this is a violation. Shouldn't he be prosecuted for this?
1: Well, Weldon, you didn't even mention these aren't, I don't think these are anti-doping rules violations, but they might violate some US laws. He was hand, doling out prescription medication without prescriptions and was taking either his medication or medication from some of his athletes and just giving it out to his other athletes and playing doctor. In many cases, the, these medications would not Actually, medically appropriate and in some cases, calcitonin, possibly dangerous. So that's another thing. He wasn't sanctioned for any of those violations, but just ethically, that's pretty, pretty cloudy as well.
0: Agreed. And it's funny because those things, well, a violation of US drug laws is not a doping crime, but. Some of these allegations came out of athletes being handed pills and being told, take this. I heard stories about unnamed prominent athletes. Some of these people I'm still haven't maybe even been on the record saying they, they would go in the bathroom and Google whether this stuff was legal or not. So it was all about finding some pill that might help you run faster. And Alberta would go back far enough and say, look, you're competing at the highest level you're wrecking your body i need to do everything to make sure my athletes are performing at their best and and keeping their bodies healthy one could argue or he would try to argue but the authorities have now ruled on two separate occasions this is against the doping rules and he's out and some of these the doping pill stories that sort of stuff is in Nike's big bet which is supposed to drop it's already out on paramount <laughs> excuse me on peacock in the united states but it's airing Friday night in Canada on CBC. So Paul Kemp, the director, he was on our podcast last week. You, you probably want to listen to that if you haven't. It's a great listen. But Paul, if you're scrambling right now to re-edit the ending and say Salazar's ban was upheld, we wish you luck. You got a couple of days. There's not much information you actually need to add, I think.
2: The more I think about it, Oh, but we, we said he was going to be banned because he clearly had already violated those rules. I didn't see how he would get off unless they just wanted to totally ignore the rules and say, like, you know, he didn't mean to ban any. He didn't mean to violate the rules, but he did. But that's not the way the doping rules work. Like, you get someone on technicality and they're gone. And, you know, so, but the more I think about it, it's good. Like, we need to go into the modern era. We don't need coaches looking for a pharmaceutical edge. We don't need coaches telling athletes to lose a ton of weight in a sort of in, in a non-emotionally appropriate way, whatever. But as a journalist, someone who likes a good story, it would have been amazing somehow if he'd been actually cleared. Imagine that because then you would have had all the social justice warriors you have already banned him from the sport and then that would have been <laughs> incredibly complicated. But now it'll be interesting to see if he ever comes back to coaching in two years. I don't think that he, I don't think Nike will pay him on the books. Maybe Bill Knight will pay him privately. I just think the public backlash. All these companies are PR shy, but who knows?
1: Well, that is the question. When his doping ban is up, US according to USOPC Safe Sport, he is still currently suspended and not allowed to go to US Championships, and that seems to be an indefinite suspension. So they've sort of been bought two years to actually justify that and to explain what's going to happen to him because right now it's not totally clear whether he's going to come back and coach in any capacity or if he's permanently out of the sport even once his band's up
0: and for those of you listening to the podcast later we talked about the nyrs RR, stripping him from the hall of fame of course strip him from the hall of fame take him out he's banned baby
2: but yeah i mean i guess we'll never know what happened probably unless Ruff comes clean but remember, Rupp was on testosterone. I testosterone medication in high school. This is a guy obsessed with testosterone. He has in his bag. He's doing experiments on his sons. It's hard not to think that something weird happened there. But
0: Okay, John, some audio problems there with Robert. I didn't want to live stream a car wreck as well. But Robert started to say, Rupp was on testosterone medication. And I think that quotes of the scientist's you know, it wasn't they said it was something called like Testo Boost or something that was a legal supplement? But Alberto clearly was obsessed with a what sixteen-year-old high school boy being on some chemical enhancement. Everything you can to run well, and he'd say, "Hey, I need to do this. I, I want to push everything to the limit." But you play with fire; sometimes you get burned.
1: Yeah, I think that's the lesson of the Salazar case. He walked right up to the line. A lot of people say, "There's the line. I'm not going near it." He thought he was following the rules but he wasn't and he got caught
0: john there's one genius point that just left me but we've got a full podcast for everybody to listen to we just we felt like we had to address this we got a full pod it's almost produced i think it's an hour and a half today we we cover a lot of stuff we got road action track action alberto salazar's band it's a great there's always stuff to talk about on Let's Run.com, track and field, even with Alberto Salazar out of the sport for the next two years. He's got to take up writing, got to take up podcasting. Alberto, come join us. All right, John, thank you. Here's the real pod.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast, where each and every week we make a boring sport interesting one part at a time. Who wrote that intro? Is that Robert? I don't know. We'll get to that in a minute. Anyway, tons to talk about in the running world this week. Cole Hawker has turned pro and signed with Nike. The winner of the Vienna Marathon has been disqualified for wearing illegal shoes. Edward Cheserek has beaten fellow Oregon legend Kalen Rupp in his half marathon debut the great north run but both of them lose out to mark scott no rojas takes down jenny simpson to win the us 10 mile champs world cross country has been postponed again all that much more to get to on this week's episode and this is jonathan Gold. i'm joined by welton johnson and we also welcome back robert johnson the conscience of this show some would say for better or worse he's playing sick tonight this is his flu game But he had to come back. He had complaints about last week's episode. So Rojo, welcome back.
2: Thrilled to be here, John. Last week when I saw you on the video monitor, I said I was happy to see you. And you said, are you really happy to see me? Are you really just happy to hear yourself talk? And I'm not sure which is true because I could barely get through last week's pod. It's just the two of you guys on there. Like, It was tough. I'm going to entertain the masses today. So excited. So much to talk about. But I do want to state for the record, first of all, has everyone listened to last week's podcast, the interview with Paul Kemp? That was one of my favorite things we've done. So if you haven't watched Nike's Big Bet or listened to the podcast with, with Paul Kemp, maybe we'll just throw that as a separate podcast because the documentary is amazing and it's coming out in Canada on Friday. And the second thing I wanted to say is, did anyone realize no one's taking me up on the offer? $1,000 for the young, for the, for the, man, the gentleman sitting next to Molly Seidel on the plane? that supposedly dissected her training, $1,000, well, yeah, let's up it, $5,000. If that person will come forward and join the podcast, it would be a great podcast. We can find out he was mansplaining. I don't think he was. I don't really think this person actually exists in real life, but we'll find out now. The offer is now raised to $5,000, the ultimate vindication for Rojo. John said, I couldn't have that take, but no one's taken us up on it. I think that proves I was correct.
0: For the record, this is coming, the extra fine, the extra $4,000 is from Robert's back pocket. I'm sort of sick of this bullshit he does. And you guys, someone just needs to write down these offers because at one point there was an offer out there. Someone had to go through the archives to find this. And I think we said we would give out $5,000 if Alan Webb never ran under, I'm going to say like 335 for 1500 He never did. And I was the one who discovered it and reported it like years later. So no one out there kept track of that to make sure that that happened.
1: Well, well then, at the risk of you know, the financial solvency of our company here, didn't you offer someone $10,000 if Molly Seidel was still in the lead pack of the Olympic marathon this year? Or what was that bet?
0: No one took me up on it. No one took me up. I threw it out there. Someone could have come and arranged the terms, but but it didn't happen. But speaking of financial solvency of the company, $5,000 can ruin us, John. We're really in trouble. (laughs) That's true. That's true. On Running went public yesterday. They raised $746 million. And no, that's not the value of the company. The company's worth about $7.6 billion. So congrats to On. Any coincidence that they, right before they go public, sponsored the road to the trials on Let'sRun.com? John, a little payment. We took 1% of the company, so it's a great day for Let's Run. Congrats to everyone. I wish that were true. 0.1% actually would still be pretty good. So, guys, being a partner with our podcast means good things happen to you. You go public. You see this?
1: You're holding a mouth guard in your hands that well then.
0: Yep. Those of you guys watching, well, I don't know if we ever put out video clips, but... Got a new office, had to clean out the old office, and I found my airwave performance mouthpiece. I thought my dog honestly had taken it, and this is a sign from God. I got to start training again. I got to get in shape. My last-placed over-40 Division II soccer team, we're playing the second-to-last-place team this week, so I got to get in shape by Friday, so I need everything I I can use. Pop in my mouthpiece. You guys got to try this out. I was about to order order one myself because I felt bad for I thought losing it to the dog, but the airway performance mouth teeth is a relatively new training tool. It launched last year after nearly 16 years of research, it fits along your bottom teeth and pushes your jaw just forward enough to create, quote, the optimal airway opening, which can mean reduced respiratory rate by 20%, increased strength, faster recovery times, less cortisol buildup by up to 50%. Check it out. Link in the show notes. And you save 10% by using code LR10, LR10. It's only thirty nine ninety plus 10% off. Check it out today.
1: All right, guys. Plenty of racing to discuss from over the weekend. But Robert, you told me that you want to start with something we discussed for our Let'sRun.com subscribers. If you're a Supporters Club member, you heard this as part of the Friday 15. We broke down the Zurich Diamond League final in great detail. But Robert has a few final thoughts on Zurich, so please share them.
2: Yeah, everybody may not have listened to the Friday 15. Again, com slash subscribe to be a VIP. But how great were those 1500s? Timothy Chariot versus Jacob Ingebrigtsen. And I just thought that was amazing. And we got the result that was the best for the sport of track and field moving forward. I mean, remember, after the Tokyo Olympics, you've got the 20-year-old wonder kid dethr- dethr- dethroning the world champion. And his dad goes into the mix zone. And says his son will never lose to Timothy Chariot again. And at the pre-classic, it wasn't close. But this time, the roles were reversed. And Weldon pointed this out. This is perfect for next year because it creates doubt. Who's going to be on top? We don't know. And I, one of the things that struck me about this race afterwards was one of the quotes from Timothy Chariot, John, was how much has this injury been bothering him? I mean, because it was a weird season. Like He doesn't finish top three of the Kenyon trials, but he PRs at Monaco. But this quote was, I was having many challenges in Tokyo, so now I am getting better. My hamstring is getting better, and I am prepared for next season. My goal is that I now need to defend my world title at next year's championships. That is my target now. But I need to work out hard because I know Jacob Ingebrigtsen is going to continue to get better. So it's perfect. He realizes Ingebrigtsen young. is going to be improved. He wants to improve. It's, it's just the 1500 men's side and women's really, if Hassan sticks, and it, it's going to be amazing next year. But men is what I'm most excited for because you've got and Chariot, plus the return of Kiprop, the return of Manigoy. somebody else is returning too. I forgot who I'm missing.
1: Kiprop, Robert, do you seriously ex- expect anything from Asbel Kiprop next year? The dude hasn't raced in four years.
0: I wouldn't rule it out, John. He's the most talented 1500 meter runner I think ever born. Maybe, well, maybe he was doping his entire time. I can't believe it's been four years. It doesn't seem that long to me. And I would see this guy ranting on Twitter claiming his innocence and keep saying I'm going to talk to him. I can't believe it's been three years. I'd still love to talk to him. I think he's entitled to present his opinion, even if I don't necessarily buy he's clean. But I think a lot of people can test positive and not necessarily know what they were taking. So he might think he was clean, or maybe he is clean.
1: Well, the thing – okay, so I've seen a lot of people saying – Oh, you're a Shelby Houlihan apologist. How can you defend Shelby and you don't believe Ausbel Kiprop? And I will leave open the possibility he might be innocent, but EPO, how does EP? I've never heard a good explanation for how EPO gets in your system accidentally. Most of the people who've been busted for EPO, I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I haven't I haven't I've yet to hear a good explanation. And there might be one out there. If you're a listener and you've heard, you know, there's a legitimate contamination or ways you can test positive for EPO without sort of intentionally doping. I'd love to hear it. Jonathan Gold, Let's run.com. But most of the time EPO, that's a drug you take if you want to be better at distance running. So that's sort of why I'm less inclined to believe Kiprop, even though he has always maintained his innocence ever since he was busted.
2: Speaking of Shelby Hulhan near the end of the podcast, I will bring her up. I'm going to dissect that Alan Abramson comment column from a couple of weeks ago. What a disgrace. Got to talk about that. but
0: John, I forgot it was EPO. That's how long it's been. And it's a harder one to sort of accidentally get in your system. So who knows? Plus, the Rosa – well, they're not brothers. The Rosa Combo. A lot of athletes under that umbrella have tested positive for EPO. Not saying anything. Not an allegation, it's just facts, right? I mean, a lot of Rosa, usually female marathoners have tested positive for EPO. And Kiprop was managed by the same group. It doesn't mean that that's getting anything, but it's just another piece of evidence not in his favor, right? They might have the same doctors, the
2: same masseuses, the same network, that sort of thing. But John, you asked if I'm thinking he's going to do anything. I don't know. I would say the odds are less than 50% that he's going to be a big player. I do think he's a massive talent, and I know one thing, it's going to be interesting. And as we said, I'm the one that put it, I've always thought, Where your dreams become reality. I like that. But I, I was seriously thinking about putting, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, making a boring sport interesting day by day. That's we do every day. And let's run on the front page. That's what we do in the podcast every week. And then Kiprop will make things interesting during next year. On the women's 1500 in Zurich, I mean, what a season for Faith Kip Gun. She wins again i think you talked about this briefly we probably should write an article about it though that has to be the greatest women's 1500 meter season in history olympic title a 351.07 time she runs three of the 10 fastest times in history all in the same year no one else in the world has ever run she's the only person in the top 10 more than once she did three of them this year so pretty amazing stuff
1: yeah, I've loved watching her race this season and kick ass. And those Semenya battles, uh, sorry, the battles with Safan Hassan, incredible. I'm so glad that they were racing each other. And you can tell they have a genuine respect for each other as well. Congrats to both of them. And yeah, greatest, greatest 1,500 runner I've ever seen on the women's side and the greatest 1,500 women's season I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, and congrats to Hassan. I mean, she has a joy when she runs. She loves to compete. And we said it before. Anyone that's, that kept competing after the Olympics, thank you for caring about the sport and not just yourselves. I mean, I know you may probably picking up some money, but these stars have just bagged after the season. I get it. You might be emotionally tired, but I feel like the sport's better off when people continue to compete, give the fans something to watch. The other big story, obviously, in Zurich was, and, and then afterwards, in Zagreb yesterday, Francine Nianzaba, I mean, she takes down Helen O'Berry in the 5,000 and then sets a 2,000-meter world record. You know, obviously I I was thinking about this, like what meet directors like, Hey, let's come up with a a race at a a weird distance and put it to the closest one that she's not banned at. So she can set a world record. But she was obviously happy when she did it. I I, I'm happy that she's gotten some attention and some money. That doesn't mean I don't think she should be competing in the women's category. And I was thinking about this. Why is this, this controversial people? Like, Oh, people get so emotional about it. You know, it's natural and this and that. Well, you know, my, my testosterone is naturally probably 10 times higher than most women's too. So it's not a question of whether it's natural or not. It's whether you think that she should be in the female division, who should be eligible for that division. And I think if you have functioning male testes, to me, that's an XY chromosome. I mean, when you're deciding like who would be in the women's category for sports and men's category for sports, I think XY versus XX and the chromosomes would be an easy place to start. And then I think obviously testes or not would be, those would be like the two big ones. That's where I would start. And whether you have male genitalia or not really isn't important. I don't think male genitalia helps you be a faster runner. That probably actually, well, most male genitalia doesn't weigh that much, but it probably slows you down a little bit.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening right now, that may have sounded smoothly done right there, but it was not. We edited it out apart. Subscribers only are going to hear a true Rojo rant. We'll put it, uh, just at the end of the podcast. End of the podcast for subscribers only. Nice recovery there, Robert. Nice recovery.
1: It may have been the most insane Rojo rant I've ever heard. So if you do want to listen to it, letsrun.com slash subscribe. But Robert, to get to your point, why would she run this race? If I'm a meet director, I I know exactly why she'd run it. It's, an, it's a fairly gettable world record. It's a Bush League distance, but it is an official world athletics, world record event. And they figured that Saba, the way she's running, could get it, and guess what? She did. The previous record, five twenty three seventy five indoors by Ganzabe Debaba. That shows you how it was set it was it was set indoors. It's kind of bush league. Saba runs five twenty one fifty six, which is good. That's a four twenty mile, and then another sixty one at the end of it. I mean, it's a legit time. But why would you do it to, to set a world record? That's exactly what they wanted.
2: For the record, the rant that they're talking about, I was not ranting about. Ian Saba. I've actually written columns defending her. I think her disgrace, Bush league was her disqualification in the Olympics. The rant was Weldon and John refusing to let me use one word in my description. Anyways, threatened to resign and start my own website. So if you are a listener and you, and you have an idea for a new website, contact me, Robert at Let's run.com. But on a, general, on a general note, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, we love you. Let's run. is all about you. We, we think your voice values. I, I, I'm not, joking here like that's what the forum is i think the average person has things to share that are insightful and that's a big part of the forum we want to hear you on the podcast 844 let's run 844-538-7786 hit extension 7 go straight to the voicemail and if we play your audio clip probably get a free pair of shoes so hear from you soon
1: and guess what if you guys like us rate and review us apple Podcasts, whatever podcast app you use spread the love Make sure that there's more people listening to this show. Please leave us a five-star rating or review if you haven't already. All right. Can we talk about Cole Hawker? I feel like this is pretty big news. I mean, middle of September here. Everyone, I mean, did you guys think he was going to turn pro or run cross country? Because I, after I saw him on the Oregon cross country roster, I was kind of thinking, oh, Oregon, they might take a run at the cross country title. His stock's not going to go down if he runs poorly in cross country. I kind of wanted to see it. I wanted to see him and Tia... Trying to team up and go up against the NAUs and Notre Dames of the world. But we're not gonna see that. He took a lot of money from Nike. I don't blame him, but you know, I wish I would have been I would have liked to see him run cross. I'll say that.
2: I agree with you, John. I mean, I've my son was out of school for six days. I was kind of out. I, I go to the website, it says 1500 meter star Cole Hawker turns professional signs with with Nike. I thought you guys missed the story. Oregon Duck Cole Hawker turns his back on the Ducks and ruins their NCAA cross country team titles. That would have been the story I wrote. I'm kidding, but I'm kind of shocked, honestly, that Nike. I mean, I guess he could get hurt or something. Maybe. I mean, we're talking multi millions of dollars here that he's going to be getting, right? I mean, it has to be. You know, the the, the I'd always heard that Centrowitz and Allen Webb were in the two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year range coming out of college. Um, Drew Hunter more like four hundred. Um, Hobbs Kessler like five or six hundred thousand dollars a year. I heard Weeding at one point made seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. These may not be accurate, but Jenny Simpson was north of five hundred thousand dollars a year for a lot of her career. So uh, she, he's making a ton of money. But it, Nike's going to pay him. Phil Knight, Oregon is their is their thing. Like, why wouldn't you just wait? Literally two months. I mean. Could, Like, or even just sign the contract and not announce it.
1: Well, they wouldn't need to do that. I do wonder, like, I mean, maybe he didn't want to run cross country. Maybe he had a very long season. He went all the way into August and he knows he's a 1500 guy and he just decides, I mean, I guess he was the footlocker cross country champion in high school, but yeah, I don't blame him for taking the money, but I do think it's pretty, if he wanted to run cross, I mean, it's not like he's going to be doing a ton of racing anyway. And I guess I don't know exactly how the contract, I assume he'll start getting paid like immediately. They pay him for the last few months of 2021. I don't know how much money he'd be losing out on if he didn't, if he waited till off to cross, but I no, I'm not going to bash the guy for not running cross country. He earned a huge contract based on his incredible season this year and he signed it. Congrats to him. Looks like he's going to be staying with Ben Thomas in Oregon, the train, which I think is good. They've got a good setup there. He can use the Oregon facilities, which is nice. Yeah, I, I expect more big things from him moving forward.
2: I guess they can't. really I guess it's just the risk. Like if he gets hurt, if he doesn't run well, and you can't. I said, why not sign it and announce it? But then, if it ever came out somehow, if it was ever leaked, then Oregon would lose that title, despite the nil nil rules, and it would look bad for Oregon. But I'm happy he's getting paid. But let's be honest about this. If it wasn't for money, it would be better for him to still be in the college system. I think the college system is an amazing developmental system. I think being on a team, the cross-country, the camaraderie, that's fun. He's got something to focus on. It's not it's not about yourself. You don't get self-absorbed. One thing that's hard as a pro is if you're not feeling well, you can always just push it off a little bit and push it off. I guess some people think this is good. Like, oh, I don't have to race. I don't have to race. I don't have to race. And then you never race. Whereas if you're on a team, you're, you're going to sort of push through some things. Some people, I guess, think that can lead to long term, you know, injuries. But I, I, I disagree. I think, you know, the meet, the college system is an amazing development system. So I think you would have he, he would have, I mean, as good as he is, he's going to have races that he's competitive in next year. But like, good luck to Hobbs Kessler next year.
1: I do think it's interesting. Yard Naguse, the another U.S. Olympian in the fifteen hundred meters this year, another collegiate star. He actually will be back, and he's running. Cross country for Notre Dame seems like I talked to his coach Sean Carlson earlier this week. Sounds like they're planning for now on running the track season as well, and then I think after that he'll likely turn pro. I'm not sure what his eligibility status is actually for that. But
0: careful, John, careful. And the word you use, careful. What do you mean, Olympian? Yarnegus?
1: Oh, you don't. Oh, come on. He didn't start the race, so he's not an Olympian. Actually, we can have that debate. I I'm fine calling him an Olympian, but. I bet there are people out there who will say, no, he didn't actually start the race. He's not an Olympian. What do you guys say?
0: I have no idea how it works. Is there some official Olympic like ruling or committee? He made the Olympic team, but he didn't compete. And it's fascinating. It's amazing how everyone is like black and white in these things, but there's a thread on this about Nagus not going pro. And there's apparently a podcast out with him somewhere. And, there's one guy there, and he's like, Look, I became less of a fan when Des Linden showed up at the Olympics in 2012 and went through the motions running injured just to sort of check the box, say she was an Olympian. They were saying that Ryan Hall did the same thing in 2016. I don't even remember that one.
1: 2012, you mean?
0: Oh, it's like 12. I was like, Hall, Hall didn't make the team in 16. Um, so, but. Because other people are like, oh, he should have just started and competed. And other people are like, wait, I'm, I'm not a fan if you do that. So I, I don't know. It is what it is. He made the Olympic team. He didn't compete.
1: I think he made the right decision by not competing because it sounds like, you know, I was talking to his coach, Sean Carlson, and he said, look, he's been healing nicely. They're just starting to sort of train again. Probably won't race cross country until later in the season, but... He's like, look, I, I just don't think it would have been smart to stress it. He you know, he had this quad injury. He couldn't sprint. Wouldn't have made sense, even if it would have been the Olympic Games. And for his long-term development, you got to remember, the guy's only, what, 20, 21, 22 years old? He's going to have plenty of years ahead of him. Uh, I, don't, I don't fault them for not not giving it a go if, they, if he couldn't sprint.
0: No, Robert guaranteed, like a year out, the year in a goose would make the Olympic team. He probably said, We'll make the Olympic team. He probably didn't say he'll be an Olympian. No, where do you think it? We need to go to the audio archives. Did Robert say, You're a Nagoose, will be an Olympian, or I guarantee he makes the Olympic team? I,
1: I thought he called him an Olympic lock, which was incredibly bold, but turned out to be true. He did make the team. It was one of Robert's greatest predictions on this podcast.
2: And also, I, th- I said that Emma Coburn would not medal at the Olympics, and that was true. And I said, Jenny Simpson wouldn't make the team, and that was proven to be true. So it's a pretty good year for me, if I remember correctly. I just looked up Nagoose. And Weldon's right. He would be criticized either way. If he go, I'm like, why didn't he jog it? If he jogs it, people rip him for jogging it. When it originally happened, I was very upset because I thought they could get, you know, um, Craig Ingalls there, but they couldn't have done that because he was, he was, they, look, people followed his training log. Negus never missed a day of running. He was able to jog. He just couldn't sprint. So I think it was fine. I just looked it up. He's listed as a DNS in the results. So I think since he's in the results, I would consider him an Olympian. But i am be excited to see what he can do in cross-country. It's going to be a fun cross-country season. John's working on those previews now. It seems like it was NAU, NAU, NAU. I know BYU won um, in there. But this year, it's, it's got, we've got more teams in the mix, right, John?
1: Well, Notre Dame scored, what, 88 points last year? They're bringing back – they had six guys in the top 36. They're bringing back all of them. And they're adding a 1341 guy, Matthew Comedy, who didn't run NCAAs last year. And a pen transfer, Anthony Russo, who's like a sub twenty nine guy, I think. So they could be totally stacked. But okay, stage is really good again. Like here's the thing: and NAU lost Grialva and Blaze Faro, but they're always good. But it's going to be some really stacked racing this year, NCAA cross, because last season did not count for eligibility purposes. So you will have some people graduating, but the teams are going to be really loaded. We can get into that more. But we'll have a fun – there's a fun meet, actually, this weekend. Maybe we'll talk about it on the Friday 15 at the Cowboy Jamboree at Oklahoma State. Colorado and NAU are both going out to race Oklahoma State. And Dave Smith told me he's planning on running everyone there. So that should be a fun meet.
2: And Dave Smith told you he – So, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that on Friday.
1: That might have been off the record, Robert. I'm just going to take that part out. And on last week's podcast,
0: I was saying that the end of the Diamond League is sort of a bittersweet day, kind of melancholy. But I take that back. I was totally fine this week. We we sort of, in the U.S., we got a bunch of road action, Fifth Avenue Mile. The weather changed here. Great North run. And then we still had some kind of, not B-team track meets, but sort of these like season-ending meets. And I have low expectations for those. We got a twelve ninety nine from Devon Allen. Welcome to the sub thirteen club. I mean, he's having a great end of the season. Diamond League champ. I mean, he's a guy who's really glad to keep competing. And one hundred ten meter hurdles could be fascinating next year. And show and Fraser Price ten seventy eight in Italy. Some good action, but and now we got some cross country coming up too. So, But for me, let's turn to the road action. I think that's sort of where the mindset was in the U.S. Fifth Avenue Mile usually is one we want to talk about, but I think we got to go to the Great North Run because any race Galen Rupp is in gets attention, right? And King Chaz, even though they didn't win this thing, Mark Scott wins it, King Chaz ahead of Galen Rupp. Usually we don't talk about 61-minute half marathons, but we're going to right now.
1: Well, the course was a little tougher than usual. They had to change it. I think it was hillier than normal. So, because I was kind of surprised. Normally, you get fast times at the Great North Run, and Mark Scott's winning time was sixty one twenty two. But I was excited to see Rupp and Cheserek. I mean, these guys, two of Oregon's greatest distance runners ever. I don't know if they, I don't ever remember them racing each other before. Maybe they have, but I can't remember it. Ches runs sixty one thirty one. Pretty solid half marathon debut. And Galen Rupp, third, 61-52. Five weeks following the Olympics, four weeks until Chicago. I think that's fine. If it's a little t- tough course. But it's not like something like, oh, man, he's going to go run. Su-. Like, if he doubles that up in Chicago, okay, that's a really fast time. But it didn't blow me away or anything.
0: And, John, you say 61 is a good half-marathon debut? I think if we're it's good if we're having different standards. It's it's like decent for like a B teamer. I don't know. Anyone else runs who you're expecting really big things for runs a 61 minute half, and you're just nowadays, I'm just kind of like, who cares? Go under 60. Now maybe the course was hard, that sort of thing. But I don't want to be at the point where I'm evaluating King Chaz on the hopeful american who we hope can compete on the next level or you got beat by mark scott like we're like okay getting beat by mark scott is now acceptable
1: i mean mark scott's a pretty good runner but i i don't ex- i also don't view Chaz as a half marathon i don't view him as a marathoner when i watched him in college i thought this is a guy who was built for the 5k and 10k he's got great endurance and he's got a sick kick I thought those would be his events. So 61 31, a challenging course and a half marathon, I think it's fine. But by no means is it easy, top world class half marathoner. And I didn't expect him to be.
0: I thought you were going to say, John, I don't view Chess as an A teamer.
1: Well, I mean, he. It's kind of hard to evaluate because he hasn't made a world championship team, but he hasn't performed when it matters yet as a pro. And part of that is he hasn't had the opportunity, but he did have the opportunity to make the Kenyan team this year, and he didn't do it. He wasn't close, frankly. I don't know whether that's because he's been training at altitude, but he didn't get the job done. And now, you know, he's got another opportunity next year to make that teams. But so far, he's run some impressive efforts in sort of one-off events. He ran that really fast indoor mile a few years ago. But on the big stage, Diamond Leagues or World Championships, he hasn't produced anything as a professional yet.
2: John won't go there. I'll say it now. I think he's I, – I would put him in the B-team category now. Talent doesn't go away, though, Edward. I, I would love to coach you. I'll resurrect your damn career. I mean, I was going to do it talking in cheek and be like, Chedric's right where we thought he'd be, crushing Galen Rupp as a pro. But this guy has been out of – you know, NCAAs from 2017. He's run some fast times, but he's done absolutely nothing of significance in recent years. I feel bad for him. I thought, like, why isn't he a star? But, look, he's not the only NCAA superstar to do very little as a pro. Anyone remember Lowy Lang? I mean, whatever happened to Lowy, it wasn't like he didn't have a good coach. Lowy had, you know, uh, Bernard Legat's coach didn't do much as a pro. So, I mean, Lowy Lang was running 13 flat in college. So, I know he did some things on the road, but, like, 18 to me is like, (laughs) we're considering you for a medal, at the World Championships or Olympics, but talent doesn't go away. I hope he can get it together. It's just I don't know uh, what's going on there. Um, so on the women's side here in England, is it actually in England, John? Help me out. Is Newcastle in England? I don't even know.
1: It is. It's northeast of England. It's up close to Scotland, but definitely.
0: Where Dwight Gale plays or doesn't play these days. Dwight, get on the pitch.
2: On the women's side, Helena Burry got the win, sixty-seven forty-two. 42 Eilish McColgan ran pretty well in her debut, sixty-seven forty-eight. But in terms of prominent Americans, Molly Seidel, 7th, 71-55. Now, she's, you know, coming off her Olympic bronze. Rupp was, what, 8th in the Olympics? <clears throat> Which one was better? I think clearly Rupp's results here was better, sixty-one fifty-two. I mean, if you double that time, a, you've got an American record. B, you're probably in it for the win in Chicago. Um, but the difference is, you know, Molly's got an extra, what, three weeks from rough to get ready for her marathon? You know, New York is later than Chicago. But what did you guys think of the women's results and Molly Seidel specifically?
1: Yeah, I thought, I mean, I expected Obeary to win her debut. She's run well in the 5,000 and 10,000 on the track so that she would win this race. Doesn't really shock me. Seidel. I think it's fi- like, again, Rupp, I'm not going to th- like sixty-one fifty-two. That's fine. Because again, he ran the Olympic marathon four weeks ago or five weeks ago. Same with Seidel. So doesn't really bother me. And also I know Molly Seidel, she's not gearing up to run a fast time in Chicago or Berlin. She's running New York, which is a grind. I think give her another what? Eight weeks. She'll be fine. That's, that's a, it's a, it's the icing on the cake anyway. It's no-lose no, no lose scenario for Molly. She gets a nice appearance fee. She gets to take this victory lap in New York. If she runs well, people are happy. If not, her season was already a humongous success because she got the medal. So she's in a no-lose scenario at this point.
2: I'm excited to make a rare correction of Jonathan Gould. This was not Helen O'Berry's debut. I didn't say it was. She ran 64-51 earlier this year in Istanbul. Um, but back to Rob. It just, it blows my mind, particularly having watching Nike's Big Bet, the documentary. I mean, Salazar's career was made in, his name was, you know, he became synonymous with New York. And why doesn't Rupp run New York? I mean, or is he trying to set his own thing as a Midwest guy or something? I don't get it. Like, was Rupp from, wasn't he born in Illinois or something? Like, it just, it blows my mind that Rupp has never run New York at any point. I know he kind of may want the American record and want the faster times, but good cross country runner It just seems odd to me that Rupp's now run what eight marathons you know he doesn't have a lot of opportunities to run but it seems like one of them would have been in new york by now
1: his family's from chicago he's a former chicago champion if he wants to get the american record he's gonna get it there i doesn't it makes sense to me why he'd keep going back
0: and even behind the scenes chicago's a nike race i wonder if you know nike might Who knows? Maybe they could enhance the appearance fee if he runs in Chicago. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. Alberto Salazar has been removed from the New York Roadrunners Hall of Fame. Could that possibly factor in these days? Or does he want to go to New York and just say, hey, yeah, Alberto was great to me. Uh, You know, I think you guys got
2: this one wrong. Whatever happened to due process? It's sickening the way Alberto Salazar has been. I mean, I... I'm not d- dismissing the, the Alberta, the Mary Kane allegations or anything like that, but this guy's appeal is still being held. Like this doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Wait, well, it doesn't make any sense that Usada, after a sick, you know, four five year, four-year investigation, found him guilty of multiple charges, three charges, banned him from the sport for four years. That's not due process. You need to wait until his CS, CAS appro- appeal is done to finally like remove him from some of these things, Robert?
2: Well, first of all, if you're talking about the ban, what Alberto Salazar did to get banned from the sport should not result in him being taken out of the New York runner, Roadrunners Hall of Fame. Absolutely not. For running a doping, for testing testosterone on his son and giving Steve Magnus a has-been, a guy who wasn't even an elite athlete, the assistant coach Al Carnitine, Like that doesn't get you removed from the New York roadrunners hall of fame. That that doesn't make any sense.
0: Robert, it's the Mary Kane stuff that got him out. Harassment of women. That for sure is what got him out. And you say due process. I think safe sports, there's a lot of questions about the process there, but they've ruled they banned him from the sport. I'm not sure when that came down, but Salazar was not removed until July 1st of this year. I think that was probably right after the safe sport, sport ruling.
2: One last thing about the Salazar stuff. Yes, the way he treated those women was wrong. But he wasn't put in the Hall of Fame as a coach. He was put in the Hall of Fame as a runner. Like, I am totally opposed to, like, steroid users being in the baseball Hall of Fame. I don't have a problem with that. But I don't think you, you should remove somebody from a Hall of Fame for something they did after their competitive career. It doesn't make any sense to me. Now, I guess people could say, what about Joe Pa and stuff like this? Uh, no. I mean, he, we're putting him in the Hall of Fame for his athletic exploits, not his coaching exploits. To me, he should have stayed in the Hall of Fame.
0: If they relitigate the 2016 Olympic marathon results, will the 4% name have to come off the Nike building? One let us run Give us your hot take.
1: Oh, man. We're hitting all of our normal topics in this episode, so long-time listeners getting to pay off. Anyway, we've got some other road r- r- race events to discuss. We've got Adidas with uh, some shenanigans in Vienna and some world records in Germany. We've also got the Fifth Avenue Mile in New York. Where do we want to go?
0: Let's stay with the New York Roadrunners, John. The Fifth Avenue Mile, the premier road mile in the world. We had a non-binary division this year for the first time, but we didn't have any Kenyans. And that, that sort of begs my question. Can this be the most I guess it could be the most elite road mile in the w- world but like there's never a top Kenyan miler in this thing. Someone look it up. Has has it ever happened in the last 10 years? It's kind of crazy with their emphasis on diversity. Oh my god. equity. We we can't get one top Kenyan miler ever? I I just sort of it's it's kind of like a running joke. Fine, if you want to be the top North American mile, that's great. But then they invite all these Brits over every single year, and maybe they maybe some British guy, twenty six year old. It's much easier to fly over a direct flight from Europe, party up for the weekend, and fly back, make a little money. But the winners,
1: Jim ariki and Jake Whiteman, both of Scotland. 3495 for white men, 4216 for Riki, Scottish sweep on the streets of New York.
2: Good point, Weldon. How in this day and day and age of DEI is this race allowed to continually not bring in any Kenyans? I mean, I looked it up. It, it wasn't just North America. We, we had Scottish winners. We had a guy from Spain, but the top 10 men's and women's were all white runners. Um, I did look it up. They have had a Kenyan winner in the past. Um
1: back in 2003 was the last time it happened. John Itati.
2: Yeah, from 2001 to 2003, Kenya men won 3 years in a row. 2002 a woman won, but none since then.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it's strange to me. You obviously North Americans it's easier to fly them over here and you know that sort of thing, but several of these athletes were competing in the Diamond League circuit earlier in the week and clearly just flew over straight from there. You would imagine it wouldn't be that hard to get a couple of world-class Kenyans, you know, free trip to New York, run a fun road mile. Doesn't happen. Maybe we should look into why, but.
0: I mean, it might be expensive. it's like, yeah, you want me pay me blank appearance fee. But if you're the premier road mile in the world, the New York road has always put on the premier or some of the premier events in the world. It wasn't on TV this year. Recently, it's been on, I think, NBC, correct? Or ESPN?
1: I think it was on ESPN because I'd always remember I'd watch that and then I'd flick over once it was done to the first NFL game of the season. And yeah, it was a little disappointing. Couldn't see this race. It was good racing. I enjoyed watching it. But had to watch it. USATF, I will give them credit, whether it was New York Roadrunners paying for it or New Balance paying for it or Space making it available. Whoever was responsible or USATF, whoever was re- was responsible for making it free to watch on USATF.tv. Kudos to that. Because it was fun. All
2: right, now that we've debated whether only white people can win it, which actually isn't fair, because Matthew Sintowitz has won that race in the last 10 years. I don't know what race he is, but I, he's I don't know how how does he how do you think he self-identifies? His mother is African American, his father is white. Normally that makes you. Uh, I don't want to go there. Um, but anyways, but he was involved to me in the biggest story of this race, a huge discussion on the message board. Matthew Centowitz, the guy that makes tons of money from Nike, certainly north of five hundred thousand dollars a year this year, I would assume. He kicks for the. They have a half mile prime, so if you were in the lead at the half mile, and then also ran, I think you had to run under three fifty nine for the men or something like that. You got a thousand dollars. Centralwoods did this and people were wondering you know should you be doing this yes or no he makes so much money etc <clears throat> great discussion went on for like six seven pages brings me to my email of the week there was a post on there that I really liked let me see if I could find who wrote this where's the name I don't know how to pronounce this W E. J O, is that wayho?
1: Sounds like one of the people on this podcast may have written this email or of it.
2: Oh, excuse me, it wasn't the email of the week. It was the post of the week. I love this post and I was reading it and I was like, this is amazing. And the reason I loved it was because my genetics were writing it, but just under a different name. So, WeJo, weJo. Do I get a free pair of on shoes for the post of the week? I thought you already had some. By the way, I haven't gotten mine. Can I get some, please?
0: I got the super shoe, the racing shoe, and I'm saving it till I get get in shape. 1844 let's run. Call the number option 7. We got some audio, but the next audio on the podcast, we'll get a free pair of on shoes. But Robert, tell me what I posted cuz I did not know that I won. This is a big day for me. Post of the week.
2: So, there was a post on there by Mr. Mago NT and he wrote, I don't care if Centralwoods collected the 1000 bucks or whatever. It was regardless of the yearly income. I think it is telling, however, that he was completely, completely aware and resolved of the fact that he had no chance of winning this race. And, that, and the fact that by going for the gimmicky mon- money, he's completely fine with all of us knowing this as well. And Weldon responded to this post and said, I couldn't have said it better myself. The money isn't mean to test it for income. Anyone can take it. Good for him. Hopefully he had a good time with the $1,000 in the city. But if you told me at the beginning of this year we'd be debating whether Center would be hitting the one-half-mile prime at the Fifth Avenue mile, I would have assumed he so dominated the race that he was ahead at that point. Not that he took it because he had no chance in the race. Hopefully he can turn it around next year. Love the post, Weldon. We would have never thought this at the beginning of the year. Just kind of take a big step back. Definitely disappointing year for Centrowitz. But he made things interesting, folks. He certainly did the your move comments got in shape, didn't win the trials, but made it interesting. Went for the American record attempt. So it's interesting. Like he must be close to what he wants to do. He, the workouts must be going well. You know, and I wonder it just, I wonder if he's being fooled by the new shoes because he's probably comparing things to past years. Maybe he's just running it faster. Like I've heard college coaches. Now that the season started, they just throw out the times they don't pay any attention to the tempo times anymore because they're significantly faster than they used to be.
1: Well, yeah, interesting point there, Well then, I want to state for the record, I believe Centro's mom is from Guyana. That's her heritage, so I'm not sure if she's African American. I don't know exactly how Matthew would describe himself race-wise, but yeah, it's I mean, I don't know, he got 10th in the Yakima mile in August, so I wasn't expecting him to win this race, but he goes to New York, He gets 14th. He's still in 356. It's not like he's totally out of shape. He's just, you know, he, he clearly, he's not in the kind of shape he was at the trials. I want to thank him for giving us probably the most exciting, my favorite race of the Olympic trials. Centro versus Hawker. That thing lived up to all expectations and more. That was amazing. But it's going to be very interesting to see some aging American milers. What do they do in 2022? Centro, Jenny Simpson, what well, they got, I mean, Centro is still making teams, but didn't make the final at the, at the Olympics. Jenny Simpson didn't even make the team. What are we going to see from them moving forward?
2: Yeah, I think the big question is, is Jenny Simpson. I think Central stays in the 1500. And he, he needs to. It's a home, Eugene World. He, at least give it a go one more year in the 1500, and see what happens. But Simpson's a much bigger question mark. She had won this race, what, seven years in a row? Doesn't run it because she wants to run the. She ran the. went down to DC. Cherry Blossom uh, Credit Union, Cherry Blossom 10-Miler, which served as U.S. uh, 10-Mile Champs. And, you know, this was her long-distance pro debut. She
1: runs... She 52-16, second place, outkicked by Nell Rojas, who is your U.S. champion in 52-13. Pretty solid run for Jenny, I'd say. First ever, you finish second, you're three seconds out of the win. You know, I think this, to me, showed... There's a, there's a future for her in the 5K next year if she wants it. It's not going to be an easy team to make, but I think she could move up. I don't know if she's ever going to be a force, you know, the real long distance, half marathon and marathon stuff, but I think 5K, 10K, uh, I think she could be competitive and make the team next year if, you know, if things go well. That's the best case scenario. Well, what's
2: interesting to me is we don't know what she wants to do. I mean, she put up a thing on Instagram. She said she had a lot of fun. That was the most important thing. But do you guys think that she's doing this just to get, her base up before returning back to the 1500, getting a different stimulus and come back to the 1500. Or do you think that she's doing this with the eye of moving up in distance? Or do you think she just doesn't know?
1: I think she genuinely doesn't know Robert. I think she was doing this because it was a fun thing. It's, you know, she's every year she's done the same thing. She's getting older in her career. Maybe wants to try something new, see how she'd be at it. And yeah, maybe she can use the result to determine what she wants to do next year. But I think right now she just, she she doesn't know. She has some questions to answer about what event she wants to run next year, that sort of thing. I th- I think even Jenny Simpson doesn't know, but she's going to spend the next month or two figuring it out with Mart Wetmore and Heather Burrows, and she'll go into twenty twenty two with a plan. You
2: you seem to think, John, she should go five ten. I mean, to me, her making a team and finishing third—does she really want to do that? If you're going to sort of be third or fourth in the U.S isn't it better just to move to the marathon and run like two twenty seven? And, and you're more relevant if you're the fourth best American in the marathon than you are than if you're running at sort of at world's and the 5,000 getting destroyed.
1: You think she's going to be the fourth best American marathoner? I don't think she could do that. Marathon's hard, man.
2: She beat
0: Sarah Hall in this race. I think that's worth noting.
1: Yeah, but Sarah Hall didn't run a good race for Sarah Hall.
0: Which is interesting because Sarah Hall's last race was, I think, a 68-minute-and-a-half marathon, which was much better than this performance. So big question marks heading to her because fall marathon, you know, Chicago it's not far away. It's less than a month away.
1: Yeah, Robert had a good stat in the week that was. So Sarah Hall was sixth overall, fourth American in this race in 52-43. That's 516 pace per mile. She wants to. She said the goal in Chicago is the American record in the marathon, which is two nineteen thirty six, and that's five nineteen pace. So clearly, you know this. I think I'm more liable to just chalk it up to it was a bad race. I mean, she sixty eight forty four at the end of August. That's a solid race. That kind of shows she's on track to do something good. Remember, she ran. She ran a little faster last year. She ran sixteen eight eighteen on the same course. In August 2020, and that was two months before she finished second in London. But 68.44, I think that's fine. But this race, I don't know. Was it was a bad race, or is it a sign of bigger issues? I, I'm not. I'm not totally sure.
2: Yeah, it's not a great race, but we can't rule it out. I, I think sometimes she has bad races, and it takes me back 20 years ago, folks. We're nearing the 20th anniversary of the highlight of my athletic career. I think on. October seventh. We should have a black page. When I paced Catherine Ender at least tried to pace her to the world record in the women's marathon. And should I save the detailed story to for another day or share it now, John?
1: How long's the story gonna be? We've got some other stuff to talk about on the podcast. but I guess
2: we can do it both. People like to hear me talk. No, like so the race starts, and we're supposed to run 520 miles. She's so trying to be the second woman ever under 220. And I asked Carrie Penkowski, the race director, I said, what if she doesn't come with me? Because this is kind of when men just started pacing people. It wasn't really clear if I was actually pacing her, just run like 10 feet ahead of her. He's like, oh, just use your own judgment. I run the first mile in 520. She's nowhere to be seen. She runs like 550. Next mile, same thing. Next mile, same thing. We're like a minute behind pace after 5K. She realizes she must know her 5K splits because then she just starts dropping like 510s and 505s. And I'm like, oh, God, anything under 515 felt really hard to me. And I had like primes. If I made it 12, 15, or 18 miles, I would get paid a certain amount. And I could barely hang on 15. And I got it like a little bit past 15, and then she just blew by me. But I remember Joan Benoit Samuelson being in the lead truck saying, oh, the male pacer does not look good here. So if anyone has a video of the 2001 race, please email at robertletsrun.com. We can play that on the anniversary show because I just remember that. And I was annoying to have them talking about me, but I never saw the clip. So it did happen.
1: Oh, wait, I need to see the clip of Joe Manoit Samuelson saying Rojo is hurting. That's amazing. That needs to be like in our podcast intro.
2: It should. I mean, I, I've never seen it, but I heard it said. So, um, And then we got to the finish line and Catherine was really nice. She's like, Robert, where were you? What happened? And I was like, hey, did you get the world record or not? Because they're going to pay me more if you got the world record. But um, anyways, the reason why I was confident, I thought I could definitely like easily pace her. Because first of all, they said she was gonna break 220. I'm like, she's not gonna break 220, because she and I had both run the Philadelphia half on September 16th. So that was only th- that was only three weeks before the race. And I had run like 6713 and she had run sixty-eight thirty. So she was a minute behind me. So I'm like, I'm in way better safe than she is. I'm like, if you how do you go from sixty-eight thirty, you know, to two eighteen forty-seven? So she didn't slow down very much at all. So if you're in peak training, sometimes you don't slow down very much. Um, so but it, this is a big concern for Chicago, as we said, because they remember they only have like what two women under two twenty two in that field, only three under two twenty-five. So if Sarah Hall's not in big shape, we've got what and Gedditch? Is that who it was, John? Yeah. If she's not in shape, remember she dropped out of the Olympics, then this race could be a complete shit show.
1: Yeah. Actually, I forgot sometimes athletes do just show up to these races just try to lock into race pace. Like if she was going out and her goal was just to run 2:19 pace, well, she actually was faster than that. So you never totally know.
0: I think she'll be ready. I mean, she's shown she's very good at the marathon now. And that 68 half marathon, that one she'd sort of build as maybe I can get the American record. Whereas this one, you know, then she probably went into big marathon buildup phase, probably piling on the mileage. Who knows what she might have done after this race. So there's hope for her.
1: You guys remember Kara D'Amato? I do remember Cara D'Amato.
0: I mean, she was tearing it up last year. She was like the hottest thing during COVID. It was like, you know, the mom who returned to racing, she ran 51.23 and 2.22 in the marathon. She set the American 10-mile record, Paid, set up the race on her own. It was a great story. And this year, she's only got one race. She did a 10K on the track and into February, 32-16. So, must have gotten injured.
1: Well, she was injured. That's why she pulled out of the Olympic trials. She wanted to try to make the team. She was going to run the 5K and 10K. Didn't do it.
2: Kara was at the race in the elite vehicle watching um would be a good podcast guest maybe i could do it in person down in dc although maybe with covid probably not but um one thing one last thing about sarah hall i was thinking about this ryan hall you know he was famous for that fifty nine forty three that just shocked everybody when he ran that in his half marathon debut i just looked it up i mean he ran some good marathons for quite some time after that he never ran faster in the half marathon after that than sixty one fifty two. So his training obviously he didn't care about the half marathon if he's training Sarah in a similar way this result is just fine um but it's pretty shocking to think about that he ran so good and then never faster you know in, in, in the um in the half there um one other thing about this cherry blossom race <coughs> didn't get much of attention, but they did have an internationals in, and I guess it's hard for the Kenyans to get over here during COVID. Cause there's not that many road racers. Maybe it's not worthwhile. Cause there aren't that many road races, but it was won by the men's races, Won by a Kenyan, Edwin Kimutai, picked up $6,000 for winning in 45, 45, the U S champion was B. Um, and I don't know. I just, there's an American focus on this website and, and podcast, but I don't know. I, I felt bad for this guy. Like, it's great that he won six thousand dollars. He said his wife died in August, and I don't know. I'm just like thinking, like, how does a healthy thirty-year-old something die? It happens a lot more in Africa than here. And I'm like, what was it? Could could five or ten thousand dollars save her life? I mean, it's just, I don't know. Life is precious. So, condolences to him for the loss of his wife.
1: Yeah, sad to hear that. Thinking of his family. Shall we transition to Europe with some of these results? Because I want to talk about these Adidas events. Vienna. Let's start with the Vienna Marathon. Full marathon season underway. Normally, we wouldn't talk about the Vienna Marathon on this podcast. But normally, the winner does not get disqualified for wearing illegal shoes. So this was quite the story. I saw this in some mainstream publications. But... You know, World Athletics comes out with their shoe regulations last year. Can't have a stack height of higher than 40, 40 millimeters. And Vienna had a process in place the day before the race. You're supposed to write down what co- shoes you will be competing in, and they will clear it and say, okay, these are legal under World Athletics rules. Reportedly, Len- uh, the Durara Harissa, who crossed the finish line first in two hundred nine twenty two, listed the Adi Zero Adios Pro 2s. But he actually wore the Adidas Zero Prime Xs, which have a 50 millimeter stack height. They're supposed to be specifically a training shoe. Yet he wore them in the race. I think he liked them so much. He runs 209.22 in them. And then he gets disqualified because it wasn't the shoe he listed on the form. And this shoe doesn't meet the World Athletics criteria. This, to my knowledge, is the first time someone's been stripped of a win for wearing illegal shoes. What do we make of all of this, gentlemen?
2: Well, I think it's the first step in World Athletics doing the right thing, going back five years and invalidating, just nullifying the 2016 Olympic results. Mechanical doping occurred there. Shailene Flanagan, Nellie Kipchoge, Galen Rupp, and many others got away with it. Um, I'm only a tiny bit joking when I say that, but we focus on having a microgram of some thing that you got from a supplement in your system and you're banned for four years. These people were wearing shoes, camouflage to look like other shoes that were giving minutes of advantage. And that was wrong. In this case, I was shocked by this story, John, because I was like, why would they even be measuring stack heights? Because I didn't even know that, this shows you how little I know about shoes. I didn't even know that anybody would be making a shoe that was bigger than the illegal thing, but it makes sense. Make it bigger so you can train on it, but you're supposed to just wear it in training. So I thought it was kind of cool that they actually did look at it I felt bad for the guy. First, I thought it might be a PR stunt because Adidas is a sponsor of this race. So I thought, oh, this is too, this is made up. But apparently he was really despondent. 15,000 euros. So we talk about, you know, $6,000 in the US. The 15,000 euros is a lot more. This is probably a huge income hit for him. He's been out from COVID. This is the first sort of mass marathon of the year with the elites, And I really hope that Adidas does pay him because he's gotten tons of publicity for them. Tons. It's all over the world. Adidas shoe band, blah, blah, blah. I mean, a lot of people probably don't even know Adidas had a shoe. So I, I didn't know about this shoe. So I hope he gets paid. I feel bad for him, but I think that they got it right. If we have rules, we need to enforce the rules. And we had rules in 2016 and nobody was enforcing them.
1: Okay. Well, I knew you'd shoehorn a reference in uh somehow congratulations on that, Robert. I agree with you. Yeah. I feel awful for him. I, do think he was probably he was right to be disqualified, but I also think Adidas should make this right, and they've gotten a ton. Of, like you said, they've gotten a ton of publicity for this. Uh, the the official winner was Ken- Kenya's Leonard Langat, two hundred nine twenty five, so he's only three seconds behind. Um, an interesting story about him. Th- th- this was not the only interesting storyline in Vienna. Leonard Langat and Vivian Chepkarui, the winners on the men's and women's sides. Both of them were flying in to the race. They were connecting from Kenya through Doha, Qatar. And their flight was delayed. They missed that connection. They weren't actually allowed into the country, I think either because of visa or quarantine rules. So they couldn't stay at a hotel. They and some of the other Kenyans competing in Vienna had to sleep on the floor of the airport on Thursday night. The race was Sunday. And they ended up still winning the race. So that was pretty incredible.
0: So I was at the Met Gala a couple of nights ago. You guys know who was there with me?
1: Kerry Richardson, Noah Lyles, AOC. Who's your date, Weldon?
0: You got you're missing one track athlete.
1: Allison Felix.
0: Wow, John knew them all. John, are you up on the fashion world?
1: You know, you know what? I'm gonna go on a rant here. The Met Gala, who cares? Why is this such a big deal? I look at half of these people, they look totally ridiculous. Most of them look like absolute idiots. Yeah, it's all people are tweeting about in my timeline. Met Gala, this, Met Gala, that. Like, it's just a celebrity thing. I don't know. I couldn't avoid it on Twitter, unfortunately. I'm just trying to watch Monday Night Football and hear people's thoughts on, you know, Lamar Jackson and Kenyon Drake. And instead, I'm bombarded by Met Gala crap. But yes, I did see that they were all at the Met Gala.
0: Yeah, three track and field athletes Shakari Richardson, Allison Felix, and Noah Lyles.
2: Well, I was pleased to see Lyles there because I noticed on Twitter a few days before he was here in Maryland speaking to the Maryland Track and Field team. I was like, "Wow, this guy's really falling." Like a few months ago he was the face of the Olympics, NBC was already handing him the gold medal. Now he's like a bronze medalist relegated to speaking at the to the Maryland Track and Field team no offense. I mean, not the we don't love the Maryland Track and Field team here in Maryland, but I guess he still does have star power to get invited to the Met Gala. John, I'm confused. I mean, I know you live in liberal Massachusetts, But although Maryland's pretty liberal itself, but you asked Weldon who his date was like, should a married man go with someone who's not, Like, it's so liberal that you're not supposed to go with your wife. That seemed confusing to me. I thought it was
1: just an innocent question. I, well, I didn't actually think Weldon even went to the Met Gala. So I was just kind of playing along with the joke. I didn't think I'd get my political leanings thrown into it and come under attack from Rojo anyway.
0: Well, since Robert's going to spend $5,000 speaking to the guy on the plane with Molly Seidel, I figured I'd buy a ticket. 35000 bucks was put on the Let's Run.com credit card. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, though. like, While well, I was reading here, Athleta, I think that's the company, they
1: paid for Allison Felix's ticket. I thought they paid for Simone Biles's ticket.
0: And Felix. They both were sponsored by them. And they give the money to some other charity. Yeah. But – I'm not sure who paid Lyles's ticket or Shikari Richardson's ticket, and they're probably they're probably actually the two biggest sports stars who actually haven't won anything big yet. Well, Lyles has won a world championship, but everyone else here is kind of a who's who of actually like winning stuff really big. So it shows kind of how track and field is perceived in the United States.
1: Well, that's more time on the Met Gala than I thought we'd spend on this episode. I wanted to talk also about. This event in in Germany, though, the Adidas headquarters has a gunner rock. I can't really pronounce that. I'm pretty bad at pronunciations, but I think that's it. It was called the Adi Zero Road to Records. And it was kind of, they did something similar in Prague last year. They put on some half marathons and got some fast times. And here they had all their athletes. You know, a lot of their top roadrunners were out to the headquarters. They put on 5K, 10K, half marathon. They got two world records. They had the women's only world record in the women's 10K, Agnes Tirop, 30.01. And then they had a women's 5K world record. Finally, Sembere Teferi of Ethiopia has brought a halt to all the confusion about the 5K women's world record. You know, rem- Remember, it was officially Beatrice Chepkoeck, 14.43. Then Beth Potter ran faster but it wasn't ratified. Then Caroline Grove grovedahl ran faster than that, but that wasn't ratified. And none of them were actually faster than Jocelyn Kozguy, who ran 1432 a couple of years ago in the first half of the Prague 10K. Now Simberi Teferi has corrected all of that. She's run 1429, which is the fastest road 5K ever. It's also going to be the w- new world record. Men's side, Ronis Kibruto wins 2643 in the 10K. And we had the half marathon was... T- Abel Kipchumba 5848. So lots of fast times. So my question about this is like, Adidas, why aren't you promoting this more? I found out about this event the day before through a tweet from the Adidas running Twitter account. Had no, inf- no link to a website, no information on who was running. Just, we're going to have this event. It'll be streamed on YouTube tomorrow, which great. Congrats for streaming it on live. But like, when Nike... Tried to break two hours in the marathon with Elliot Kupchoge. The entire world knew about this event. Adidas, even the running world, people were struggling for the information the day before. They officially announced it the day before. I mean, if you're going to spend all this money and get all these great athletes running fast times, why aren't you promoting this thing?
0: Well, John, they probably wanted to promote the world records after the fact. They Probably just wanted to get a bunch of, bunch of relatively soft road world records, and then they can market that after the fact.
1: I guess that what is one approach, uh, because that you know if you don't break the world records and you hype it up, then you don't have to you know say oh well actually because they're launching their new shoe. I think this was for the Adizero Zero Pro Two, which is the shoe that Harissa was supposed to run in Vienna and did not actually run in. So I guess that does make sense, but I don't know. As a fan of the sport, it's just nice to know like oh Ronex Capruto, I like watching that guy run. Like some Barry Agnes Tirop, the two of the top. Distance runners in the world—they're trying to break these world records. Like, kudos to them for putting it on YouTube for free. Again, this kind of been cheap to put off, but pull off. But if you're going to have a big event like this, I would hype it up. Like Hoka One One when Jim Walmsley went for that 100K world record earlier this year, we heard about it, and guess what? I tuned in and watched it. it. Was it was fun, even though I don't normally care about the 100K. Whereas this event, they're going for these world records, and they don't even tell us who's running or you know any of that
0: it's interesting you mentioned Hoka, John, because when Walmsley went for the first world record, they tried to keep it under the vest. They said this event's coming, and then only a week before did they announce it. But then they put out everybody who's in the field, everything. But John, is this any different than the Diamond League? Like, the day before a Diamond League starts, we don't know who's in the field. So it's kind of par for the course for Jacksonville in America, or in the world.
1: Not totally, because the Diamond League, I know when it's going to happen. I know what events are going to happen. And they also released their start list most re- meets are pretty good about it, like three or four days in advance. It was only the pre-classic this year that basically wasn't t- didn't tell us anything. I think the Diamond League does fine because you, you know like, pretty much what to you expect. You're going to get fairly quality fields every time out. I think this is a little different, especially since no one I didn't even know the event was happening. Like I know the Monaco Diamond League is going to happen in July 2022. I already know that now. I didn't know the Adidas road to records was going to happen until I saw it Less than twenty-four hours earlier. I guess maybe I shouldn't be ripping Adidas. They are putting money into this. They're sponsoring all these athletes. Like, I, I don't think I, it's not a bad thing when you put money into the sport. I just think if you're going to do it, do it in a way that you're enhancing these athletes' brands and just pumping promoting the sport more. You know.
2: I agree with you, John. And it always blows my mind when you put these like distance things. You don't even bother to send a press release. Not that like we run distance running, but aren't we like obsessed with it? Like, hello. I guess I did email you, but the night before, or no, it's Twitter he said. So just it seems like, hey, let's run. We're gonna do this in two weeks. Maybe promote it. But <clears throat> what's crazy to me about this is I mean, a guy ran 2646 on the roads that was ninth in the Olympics. So it shows you how sick, and he's only 21 years of age. So it shows you how sick the Olympic 10K was this year. A, and then B also how fast the shoes are. On the roads. Speaking of how fast the shoes are on the roads, there was also more vindication for yours truly. On the last podcast, I think I was on, remember we were talking about the 100 mile world record from by Al, by the, excuse me, the 24 hour world record by Alexander Sorinken. And we were talking about, I said, I probably, I think it probably, he would not have set the record if he didn't have the super shoes. And then we pointed this tweet from Camille heron saying that how the super shoes slow you down. That didn't make sense to us because why would he wear them if they were slowing him down? Well, guess what? Mr. sorokin has since come out praising the super shoes. So yours truly vindicated, even though I've never run anything close to a 24-hour race, 24-hour world record holder, Camille Heron goes home devastated. We should have Camille on the podcast. I think she'd be a great guest. But sometimes I, I honestly do think this. I think sometimes people, it blows my mind and I don't want to name names. I, I'm going to for one time have a filter. There is a individual that's been doing some broadcasting this summer, and I'm like, he or she does not understand distance running. I know that they were a, a world competitive athlete. They don't understand it. They should not be broadcasting. And you can be really good at something, not necessarily understand the nuances. And maybe for her the shoes didn't work, but I think for him they did. Speaking of 24-hour runs, Robert used to say
0: he'd be good at the ultra-long distances, the great Norm Hitchcock in Dallas, this radio broadcaster, he does like a 24-hour broadcast for charity. Once a year, should we make Rojo go run 24 hours straight and like stream it and just see how far he can go? I don't know what the goal would be. And then if he dies, we just say, well, you know, he, survival will fit us. Sorry, Rojo.
1: Yeah, honestly, I'm worried he would die doing that. Well, then it's probably for the health of the site, With health of this podcast. We, we I mean, keep rubbing out of that.
0: might say it improves the site if... You know, weed out weed out the week. If you got any ideas for the Rojo 24 hour run or Rojo Challenge for charity or anything for charity, email me. Or email us anytime you want. Podcast at let And remember, remember your airwave performance mouthpiece. Airwave.com LR10. Check it out. Only 39.99, 10% off code LR10.
2: I could try to run more on the last day of the year than I did the entire first 364 days. But how much did this guy run?
1: Wasn't it like 192 miles or something?
2: Oh, I I think I could, then I, I think I probably run at least that much in a year. So I don't think that's doable.
1: All right, guys, big news this morning. This is, we're recording this Wednesday. Well, cross country, which was supposed to be held in Bathurst, Australia, in February, 22, 2020, sorry, February 2022, has been postponed a year. It's now going to be held in February 2023. Now, if you remember, this event was supposed to be held in 2021. They postponed it a year due to COVID. And now again, World Athletics has announced this postponement is due to biosecurity measures and travel restrictions currently in place to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in Australia. Australian borders are closed to international visitors. I mean, this event isn't for another five months, but... They've already said it's not happening. My question to you is who is going to step up and host this We The last world cross was in 2019. It was one of the best world crosses ever in ahus Denmark. Let's run.com. We have a proud history of going to world cross. We were there in Uganda. Rojo was in Giyang in 2015. Weldon has said he's going to Australia no matter what, but we can't let another year pass without world cross country. I think someone needs to step up. Phil, Phil Knight, maybe back set and we have it out in Oregon. Someone needs to put up the money. I think North America would be a great, great choice. You know, they haven't hosted since 1993 when Boston was the host. Victoria, Canada had a great course for the Pan Am XC cup last year. They've said they've, they're interested in hosting world cross. Tallahassee has said they're interested in hosting world cross. At some point in the future, we have all these college courses. I mean, who is going to step up? We need to have a world cross country in 2022.
2: What do you mean? It's been postponed. Is there any debate of having it this year? It sounds like it's this. This the 2021 race will be held in 2020. I mean, the 2020 race will be held in 2022.
1: No, the 2021 race is going to be held in 2023.
0: Which is when the original the next one was supposed to be held anyway. Can any let us runners in Australia email us? Like you guys are like hardcore lockdown. Not that we did the best job with COVID here in America, but we've kind of decided like a lot of the rest of the Western world, we're going to go about our lives now, but it would be great. I just don't think it's going to happen. The, the IWF doesn't, World Athletics doesn't care that much about cross country anymore. Then it's every two years. So it's going to be in 2023. Speaking of the bidding part, do you guys know what it costs to bid for world cross country? Email me podcast at let Cause I don't know what the end game is in Australia. Like just be an Island and hoard everybody off forever. But America, we're still not letting people in like tourists still can't come to America, which I think is crazy. COVID tests and require proof of vaccine, let people in.
1: You guys are just cool with this. I mean, I know the same thing's happening world indoors. There was no world indoors in 2020 that got pushed to 21. And then that got pushed to 23. So we're going to go four years between world indoors, but we still have World Outdoors. Like, look at the World Outdoors. When World Outdoors, when the Olympics got pushed to 2021, the 2021 World Outdoors got pushed to 2022. And now we have 2022, 2023, 2024, 2025. We've got this great run. I feel like we could just World Cross, it's only every two years anyway. We're going an entire four years without one. It's one of my favorite races. I feel like, it. I mean, at this point, maybe it's too late. I know it costs money and stuff to host and all that stuff, but I think it would be fantastic if we could have a World Cross in 2022, and I don't, I don't care if it, it could be in it could be in Great Britain, it could be anywhere. I don't care. I just think it would be. You guys don't think it would be good to have one instead of going four years without World Cross? Well, I saw it in the article Tallahassee is considering a bid for a future year. It said it was like a 250 thousand deposit, but it doesn't. I assume they get that back if they don't win the bid, or well, that's just that's lost if they if they. Even if they don't get the bid, they're out $250,000. That seems like a scam.
0: It seems high for me. I mean, I know there's sometimes maybe there's a fee for some of these things, but two fifty dollars for a World Cross if you don't get it? That seems excessive. So I'm curious if anyone knows. Email us.
1: I'm interested. Tallahassee would, like, for all of the play. I know they're hosting NCAA Cross this year, but, like, when I think cross-country in the United States... Kind of think, I mean, I don't know, northeast or midwest. I don't really think Florida, you know. Uh but I'm I'm all for any country, any course in the US that wants to host a World Cross. It's been far too long since the US hosted. If Florida wants to do a bid, I'll I'll back that because I think it would be good to get the event back in the US so- soil.
0: The bid in Florida, it's technically from Leon County which has this great course, apparently NCA cross will be there this year. So it's going to be interesting. They're trying to say, Hey, like these events are good. Thousands of people come in. It's good for tourism, but Vancouver, British Columbia had also expressed interest. So what if we actually get two bids from North America this time? I just kind of assumed if Vancouver, it's an internationally known city. It
1: was Victoria. Well then,
0: Oh, well, excuse me. Yeah. Victoria area. Excuse me. um Been to Vancouver, been to Victoria, both great places, both close to each other. I don't know if they both bid. I think they'd be both great places to have a World Cross. So yeah, maybe if one of them wants to step up and they want to have cross country back to back, I guess they couldn't do it. It'd have to be 2023 and 2024 now. So are you going to have World Cross in North America two times in a row, 2023 and 2025?
1: Well, actually, they are changing the calendar, though. I thought that World Cross, they were moving to even years after 2023. So it would be the 2024 or 2026. So we would have three World Crosses in four years after not having one for four years.
2: Look, they need to go back to having it every year, John. I would like to have it this year. You make a good point. Someone step up. They need to have it every year. And... With all the hype of the US Open last week, Djokovic going for the Grand Slam, it struck me that, like, it's fascinating to me that no one's won the calendar year Grand Slam in tennis in like more than 50 years on the men's side. Like, you think that there would be one player that's dominant would win all the time. It shows you how hard it is in tennis. I mean, track, I think it would happen, but it's mainly because they have different surfaces. So we should have our own. We need more majors. We have this one major and it overwhelms everything Olympics, world championships. World Cross was a major. Then the white guys got their their feelings hurt that they couldn't run competitive and stopped going. And then we just de-emphasized it. So how cool would this be? Like, who's the best 10 guy? Maybe we could have a major on the roads, a major on the the cross country, a major on the track. We have three majors with the best 10K. Or I don't know. I mean, I I just think this is an amazing race and think it needs to come back more more prominently.
1: You're saying some people de-emphasized it. Some of the Americans stopped going. But I don't know. I also would say in the last... Few years, a decent number of America's top 10K guys on the men's side have been going, but or have been trying out for the team. But at the very top, last year's world cross was stacked. You had you had Joshua Chapter guy, you had Jacob Capelimo, you had Jeffrey Cam you had Ronex Caprudo, you had Salomon Borega, you had everyone you would want.
2: Guess who you also had? Jacob Ingebrigson. Jacob Brigson. Yeah. All you white boys afraid to get your ass beat, Galen Rupp never did it. Come on. It's great for the sport. It's great for your development. So I'm just saying it, it was amazing. Why don't the, the most obvious answer to me is why don't we stick it in our house? Now, the problem is COVID people may not want to do it, but we just go back to our house for this year and then we can we can get going again on it next year.
1: Well, I mean, I'm not sure if the course, remember they ran out on the roof of the museum. I'm not sure if the course would need to be reconstructed, but that would be a great option, too. Aarhus did a fantastic job hosting. I'd love to see that happen. But yeah, it's just like I said, this is an event that's close to my heart. So it would be a bummer not to have it for four years. But I hope this means that we would have it in 23, 24, and 26. I hope they don't skip 24 and just go 23 to 26. And then you have you know, one world cross country between 2019 and 2026.
0: Our house was so amazing, and I wonder if anyone who went to that would report back to people it was so amazing that they could almost have like a annual sort of like spring event there and just running fans around the world go. Uh, that's how great of an event that was. I would try to go. You could have like a Let's Run reunion. Just running fans could go. They had races for the masses. Maybe you could get – I don't know how many people did the mass participation rep- races, but maybe you could get like – 5,000 foreigners flying to Denmark and it, it works out money-wise. It was just a tremendous event.
2: Really cool. What about changing the calendar completely? Putting World Cross in the summer. You could get all the top guys. You'd have your major. You have your track major. And then you have your cross-country major, either like a month before and a month after. So everyone would be in peak, peak, peak shape. At least you get all the thinking, guys. Anyways, maybe the other people wouldn't want to do it, though. Maybe have it I've made. I would have it like maybe in June.
1: Yeah, there's something weird to me about cross country in June, though. I just feel like there should be mud and it should there should be a crisp chill in the air. All
2: right, can we go back to I promised some Shelby Holehand talk? I know we used to make fun of this podcast calling John Jonathan Galt the doping apologist when he wrote his column after the Shelby Hoolhan case defending her. I played it both ways on this one. I definitely think that Jerry Schumacher runs a clean program. It doesn't mean there's not a rogue doper. also doesn't mean that she got contaminated. But earlier this month, I thought there was really a, I don't know, hypocritical, I'd almost say disgraceful column written by Alan Abramson. And I like Alan. Alan is a professor of journalism out in California. He's written a lot of books. He's been following the Olympic movement for a long time. He wrote Michael Phelps' biography. We hang out with him at... Steve Soprano and I hung out with him in Poland one year, had dinner with him. He's always very friendly to us at the Worlds. Good guy. But this article that he wrote about Shelby Houlihan, time for Shelby Houlihan to come clean. And I put it up on the very number one spot on the website. Why? Because some people say, hey, you at Let's Run are too soft on Shelby. So I'm like, okay, we'll play the other side. And Allinson said the entire saga truthfully has been pathetic. Do you think pigs can fly? The story is unbelievable. She needs to come clean, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I started the thread again. My son's been sick, so I didn't follow the thread that that closely. So I don't know if people brought up this point, but I don't know how he could write this column. This is the same guy that wrote in 2017, wrote on back-to-back days 2,300 words and then 1,900, over 4,000 words just praising the, the Justin Gatlin after after Gatlin had won the world title over St. Bolt. And, you know, he says that in the doping arena, facts, rules, and process matter. Hello? If facts, rules, and process matter, she's still appealing. She can do that. Gatlin went to the CAS. Why can't she? And it um, takes a special person to endure all this, said Gatlin's agent. And then... Um, there was a couple things in that. Abram- I went back and read those Abramson articles. We'll link to them in the show notes. But he, he kept saying this. Um, he says, you know, Justin Gatlin, for those of you who don't who not familiar with the story, when Gatlin was in college, he got busted for Adderall. People call him a two-time doper. He was on Adderall for legitimate reasons. He has a learning disability. And everyone acknowledges that if he just got in TU, he could have been on the Adderall. But he didn't have that, so he was banned. And then he was later banned for testosterone and got an eight-year ban, which was reduced to four. But anyways, Abramson says, no one knows exactly what happened, or at least has come forward to explain. Gatlin never intentionally tried to cheat, and a voluminous record on file in federal courts in Florida makes that clear. That statement is not true. I went back and read all the case files on the Gatlin case, and the, the judges, CAS, they never said they never said that Gatlin never intentionally tried to cheat. They did say he did not intentionally try to cheat in the first time when he had Adderall and that was debate. The, the Adderall thing was only significant was how long would his second ban be for four years, eight years or lifetime. But the, 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 basically he had external testosterone in his system. We know that he did that. The question is, how did it get in the system? It's the same thing as Shelby Houlihan. How did it get in her system? And one of the judges, it was actually a split decision, two to one, the one that disagreed, with I think the four-year ban, wanted more or wanted less for Gatlin, was saying there was three. There's three scenarios of how he got in there. One, he cheated on purpose. Two, he was sabotaged. Or three, a coach gave it to him without him knowing it. This judge said, I think they're all equally likely. But no one, even the de- Gatlin defender, who is this third judge, said that there's a volume in record saying that he never intentionally tried to cheat. They, the other two judges, said we don't know how he got in the system, but he's got his testosterone in the system. And when you're a world-class sprinter, you're banned for that. And by the way, let's be honest. He was coached by Trevor Balco. I mean, by by Trevor Graham, who was the head of the Balco scandal. So the idea that Graham or somebody wasn't—I guess he could have been sabotaged—but the idea that he wasn't on testosterone isn't true. So Gatlin has never come clean. I don't understand why Alan Abramson is asking Shelby Houlihan to come clean.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair point, Robert. Look, Shelby's defense would be, "Why the hell would I come clean if I, you know I never did this? I did. I'm not guilty. Why would I admit I cheated?" And again, I think it's fair to say, look, I you know many people will read the details of the case. They'll say there's really no good explanation for how she could have ingested this without intentionally cheating. It seems, you know, as the AIU outlined as the CAS accepted, that it would have been a very, would have been unlikely for the explanation she provided to be accurate. But at the same time, like, I don't know, if you're Shelby Houlihan, I... I if you if you didn't do it, you don't admit to doing it. There's like I'm fine. I don't think you should be ripping her for like not coming forward. Like she's genuinely maintained the entire time she didn't do it, and he's willing to say, okay, it was in her body, therefore she had to have intentionally cheated. Whereas Justin Gatlin, he is def- he was also banned for four years, also ruled to have a prohibited substance in his body. He I don't know if he maintained he's never cheated. He hasn't really been forthcoming about this, but. If he, he's, she, he doesn't have to come out and just admit it and come clean, where she does. It, it seems like a double standard.
0: John, I'm a history major. Inside joke for those of you guys who know the history of Justin Gatlin. But I think people are getting one thing wrong here. This burrito story, everybody focuses on the burrito story. And it, the burrito story could be wrong, but that doesn't mean Shelby was intentionally doping. She could have taken a tainted supplement or something else. There's other possibilities that these – that the Nandro could be in her system besides the burrito story. So Alan is acknowledging that maybe she's not a conscious doper, but she took a tainted supplement and maybe she shouldn't be taking these supplements. Like the full story isn't out there. so That's one thing. And from her perspective, let's say she's innocent. Doesn't know how this got there. She she tries to figure out what she ate. There's no debating. She ate at this kind of sketchy burrito truck the night before she's heard of tainted beef. And she's like, well, it's gotta be this she didn't consciously dope. You're looking for answers. I of course would go to the food I ate the day before. It's a kind of a huge coincidence that she ate at one of these burrito trucks. And yeah, Justin Gatlin has never said the full story. What was Trevor Graham doing? There's so much more that we don't know, but I am open to athletes. I, I have no idea if Justin Gatlin consciously took something on purpose. And Guys, there might be another big doping scandal coming out. Have you guys seen Raise TV? Raise take? Oh, if that was called Raise TV, his Twitter his Twitter
1: handle. Oh, I thought it was Ray's Take. Never mind. Weldon's
2: right. R at R A E S T V. Raise T V. Format- Raise
1: Take TV. That's what it is. So what what Weldon? So this is the guy who told us there was gonna be a major positive ahead of the Olympics and it didn't happen. So What's he saying now?
0: This is Ray Edwards, a former 10.00 sprinter. Blessing Nakabaro did get popped at the Olympics, John, but I thought he said a U.S.
1: sprinter. I don't think that's who he was referring to. And I know C.J. Ujago got popped as well. But
0: and he, I was listening to his videos last night. He was saying that he said a couple of days before C.J. is about to go down. He didn't say the name. So he 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 made it sound like Blessing and C.J. he both anticipated, but he may have been wrong about one before the Olympics. On his YouTube channel last night, he claims that there's been an FBI or federal government raid in the United States that someone who was popped this winter started singing this summer, excuse me, started singing. And the premise was that this athlete didn't know that they were on something. the coach or agent, he says coach agent shoe company he puts those three together, which is interesting because I don't know the sprint world and apparently was given something. They said it was legit it wasn't and now they're just they're like well i'm not a cheat screw you i'm telling what really happened here and now the feds are involved because it w- could involve trafficking so i don't know this isn't just some yahoo spouting off the internet so this would be good that's when the federal government gets involved that's how we get to the bottom of these things in the united states
1: well i'd like to see this actually come out as opposed to speculation on this these videos when he spec like you can speculate and say someone's going to get popped and then take credit for breaking it afterwards, even though you didn't actually name any names. So I don't know. This is obviously a major story if it does come to fruition, but I just like to wait to hear more.
2: By the way, the Twitter handle is at raise R A E S. Excuse me. At raise take R A E S T A K E. One thing about the who thing. So you have to be, I actually think if, under the current rules, probably the, the Court of Arbitration of Sport got the decision right in the sense of she's supposed to show with a greater than fifty percent probability that it came from this truck, which is almost impossible. But um, I don't know. Like Did RJ Wilson and them show it was a greater than fifty percent possibility? I don't think they did. I think they showed that it was a str- it was possible. And you know, USAT DA is, is just um, more likely to let you off than than, than the other people. So. I'm not saying she's clean, I'm not saying she's dirty, but I, I think that I don't know. I, I thought that, that column was just like a disgrace and had to make it racial too. It's like a white one thing no one thinks a white person could do this. Like I don't think her race has anything to do with
0: this is where who you associate matters. Justin Gatlin stuck with Trevor Graham after the Balco stuff came out. Justin Gatlin was popped after the Balco entered the stuff. Trevor Graham was linked to that stuff. Now not all the bands and stuff had come down, but there was enough smoke to think twice about this. And he stayed with Graham and then eventually got banned from the sport. Houlihan was with Jerry Schumacher and there's been no doping allegations against Schumacher. Now, some people say, Oh, Schumacher's guys at one point went to Dr. Catlin or Dr. Jeffrey Brown, Dr. Brown. But I think Houlihan split off, excuse me, Schumacher split off from Salazar because they they had a very difference of opinion on how some of those things should be done. I think that that's part of the story there. So I'm willing to, and then they were adamantly defending her. I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't mean she, she shouldn't be banned. Maybe she took a supplement. There's lots of other possibilities besides this burrito story. And just because a burrito story sounds crazy, doesn't mean she's a doper, but the burden of the proof is on the athlete. And that's one thing Ray's TV pointed out last night. Tyson Gay got a six-month suspension. His coach, John Drummond, is banned for 10 years. And essentially the premise was, there was Drummond said, take this stuff. It's natural. And USADA or Cass or whoever pretty much seemed to believe that that's what happened because Tyson Gay, one of the – Best sprinters ever in America only ended up getting a six-month ban, and his coach is banned for ten years. Who knows? We
2: should have Gatlin on. We should have Houlihan on. Shoemaker on. It would all be interesting because maybe Gatlin didn't know. I mean, he did have a long career. I've always thought, well, if he was dirty, then why is he still good now? Is he still doping, or to help him long term, or maybe he was actually pretty damn good without doping? I mean, if you go back to Ben
0: Johnson, he's like, I, I wasn't on the steroid. I was popped for the whole sabotage thing. I'm believing more of which would, could get us back to Alberto Salazar, but I won't go there right now.
1: Okay, yeah. It seems like we're talking in circles at this point. Anything else for this week? Or I think we're done here, boys. Robert, it was great to have your voice back. You know, threatened to go off the rails early, but we stuck. we, we got the train back on track. We took it through to the end of the podcast. Glad you're still here, Robert.
2: Hopefully I'm here next week after you guys play the rant that I had and when I threatened to quit the job. It made the Bill O'Reilly rant on YouTube look tame. VIP subscribers, that's coming up next. I hope I'm not so embarrassed that I show my face next week. Also, if you're with a hedge fund and have a lot of money, I think that we should please contact me. I'd like to go into a joint venture. I want to buy the Jungfrau Marathon in interlock in Switzerland. <clears throat> it was held last week. This is a race with a 1800 meter elevation game. That's more than a mile. So I think that we should. I should find a marathon where we do a mile high. Just do a one mile, the mile high marathon. You go up one mile. I think it would sell well. A lot of people would do it. Sounds kind of crazy. Yeah,
1: that's silly. Get Put the money towards hosting World Cross in the United States next year. That's what the hedge fund billionaire should really do.
2: Chris Lukasik, please call us. 844-Let's-Run. 844 538 Actually, the on guy. What's his name? Shit. His company's worth $6 billion. We're going to be sending you, first of all, a higher bill than what we charge you to be the official shoe of Let's Run this summer. By the way, if you are a shoe company exec, instead of like paying C-teamers like six figures a year, I want someone to become the official shoe of Let's Run looking for a multi-year deal. Please contact me, robert at letsrun.com.
1: Yeah, that'll, that'll really play with, well with all the athletes who I know listen, well, no visit Let's Run and sometimes listen to the podcast. Robert doesn't want you to get the money. He wants us to get the money. That's what he's saying.
0: John, you got to leverage your marketing spend. Got to leverage your marketing spend.
1: All right. Well, here he is, Rojo unhinged, and check in next week.
0: Remember, if you want to try the next thing in running, try the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece, $39.99, and you get 10% off. Use code LR10. Link in the show notes Airwave. That's A I R W A A V dot com.